Welcome to this week's episode of the North Bible Church Podcast. Now, let's join our pastor as we open God's Word together. Well, good morning. My name is Wes, mission pastor here at North. It's good to be with you online. It's good to be with you here in person this morning. Um, Jay does a pretty good job of grabbing that thing and kind of holding it by one hand as he walks over here, and I have to use two. I'm not as strong as he is, so bear with me on that. We're continuing in our uh, book, in the, uh, our series in the book of James, uh, letter of James, and um, it's, it's called Getting Clarity in an Unclear World, and it's not difficult uh, to realize and to see that there are things that are confusing in our world, uh, have been in the past, and that's no different right now. You know, it's important to have clarity uh, when, it, when it comes to understanding things, understanding our world, understanding our faith. I learned that lesson this week uh, about how clarity is important. As my wife was typing on my laptop in, in our room, she was working on a project, and, and she's, she's, oh, what? wait, what's going on? What's going on? And I'm sitting there, and I said, well, what, what, what's going on? And she's like, someone's typing on the computer, and it's not me. And I was like, did you get hacked? Or what's going on? They're like, erasing it. I'm like, shut it down. Shut it. She shuts down the computer, and we're all like, that was freaky. It was weird. It scared us a little bit. So we waited a while. We turned the, the laptop back on, and it's, everything seemed to be normal. And so then I'm like, well, what did you do to get the computer hacked? And she's like, what do you mean, what did I do? And I was like, I mean, it's pretty obvious. Like, you clicked on something. That's why our computer got hacked. She, I did not. I did not click on anything. She's like, look, I'll show you everywhere I went. So she's going through the programs that she was on and where she went on the Internet and her emails and different things. And it didn't look like she clicked on anything, but I definitely did not. Uh, I think that she did. You know, I was still thinking she did it. It was her fault. So I blamed her. <clears throat> and then, uh, lo and behold, later on that night, we realized that downstairs in a different room was a Bluetooth keyboard that is connected to my computer. And my little boys were messing around with it and, and typing on the Bluetooth keyboard and erasing things. So um, I got clarity. <laughs> and I needed to apologize, and then we had a nice laugh about, about it. But it's, it's interesting when we can see clearly what's going on, and that's what the Lord wants from us uh, through the book of James. And so that's what we're, we're focusing on. Even when I prepare for this sermon or sermons in the past, I like to run them by, by Jay just to you know, make sure I'm you know, you know, saying things clearly and, and, and saying that the things the way they should be. And now, he doesn't see my final product, so um, he can't be blamed for everything today. Um, but if 99% of this is mine and 1% was from Jay, feel free if you disagree with anything to send him an email, okay? <laughs> um, no, seriously though, his, his email is jay at northbible.com, so <laughs> you're welcome, buddy. Uh, let me pray for us and then we'll jump into our, our message this morning. God, I, I thank you that uh, you're here with us. Uh, we know that scripture tells us that when two or three are gathered, uh, that you are there and you're there in a powerful way. So we recognize your presence, your Holy Spirit here today. Uh, guide us as we open up your word and reveal to us uh, exactly what you want. In your name, amen. So Jay has taken us uh, thus far up until the middle of James chapter 2. We're going to look at James 2, 14 through 26 today. And he's addressed many things, including joy in the midst of trials and, and temptations. 
hearing and doing God's word, taming of the tongue, uh, the sin of impartiality and loving others. And the book of James helps clear up some things for us in regards to how we are to respond in our faith. And that's why our title today is called A Faith That Works. A Faith That Works. Now, he's also talked about the audience that James is speaking to, who he writes this letter to, the context in which you know, the hearers of this letter would have heard uh, this, this book. And it's important to remember uh, who the audience is today. Uh, the audience that James was writing to were, were disciples. They were his brothers and his sisters in Christ. They were followers of Jesus. He wasn't necessarily writing them to people who did not know the Lord yet, although those people would have benefited from it. But he's writing to believers, and that's important for us to remember today because uh, he writes in a way that he doesn't necessarily define all of his terms. He kind of just says what we are supposed to do. When you, when you have this situation, do this. He doesn't necessarily give the backstory or the history behind it or even necessarily a theological explanation. He basically just says, this is what you need to do. And he repeats himself over and over. He's like a good pastor who's very repetitive. Uh, just in the 12 verses that we're looking at today, he repeats basically this message that the faith without works is dead. And so I just want to read just that part of our, of our uh, passage today, just the, the, the areas where he repeats himself over and over. Verse 14 says, What good is it, my brothers and sisters, if someone claims to have faith but has no deeds? Can such faith save them? The second half of 17 says, Faith by itself, if it is not accompanied by action, is dead. Verse 18, But someone will say, You have faith, I have deeds. Show me your faith without deeds, and I will show you my faith by my deeds. 20, you foolish person, do you want evidence that faith without deeds is useless? 22, you see that his faith and his actions were working together, and his faith was made complete by what he did. Verse 24, you see that a person is considered righteous by what they do, and not by faith alone. Verse 26, as the body without the spirit is dead, so faith without deeds is dead. James's message is really clear here. Uh, James is not trying to communicate that we earn our salvation through our works, nor is James even addressing the issue of salvation by faith alone. We see that Paul often does that in his writings, but James here is simply calling God's people to act like God's people. To be clear, both Paul and James and the rest of the New Testament agree that we are saved by faith in Jesus' work of salvation and that our faith results in a changed life which is seen in the works, uh, in the works that we do after we are saved by Jesus. Paul emphasizes this in Ephesians 2, 8 through 10, where he says, For by grace you have been saved through faith, and this is not your own doing, it is the gift of God, not as a result of work, so that no one may boast. For we are his workmanship, created in Christ Jesus for good works, which God prepared beforehand that we should walk in them. Our faith needs to be acted upon. Uh, there, are, there are about a hundred one another's that we see in the New Testament. And these one another's are basically how we are to respond to one another. And actually, 47 of these one another's are commands 
that we are to respond to. For example, love one another, forgive one another, confess to one another. It is impossible, it is impossible to act out in faith and, and, and deeds without that, that faith flowing through us to respond to these commands. We, we need to take action when it comes to our faith. Now, James uses really strong language, as I, we're going to get to the passage a little bit more here in a minute, but he uses really strong language. He's straightforward. He doesn't pull any punches in the way that he, he says things. Sometimes we just need to, uh, to be woken up. We need to be set on fire and, and just kind of lit up. You know, we, we just need to be ch- ch- challenged and, and charged to do something. And so our, it's like a basketball coach, or my basketball coach would you know, yell at me, or he would encourage me, and that would encourage me to, to you know, make a decision to act upon that. And, you know, I, this passage for me has always been one of those passages. It's just such a go and do it. Go and make it happen. Be faithful. Make that decision. Trust. And it's been so encouraging me uh, over, the, over the years just to, to read this passage. And so it, I, it reminds me of hiking the Grand Canyon a few years ago. And uh, we were with a group of people, and it ended up being myself, my wife, and Austin Hallman, who's in the room I did ask his permission to share this today. Um, and we were exhausted. We were, had got started at the south rim of the Grand Canyon, had gone down and to the north rim, and we were back, coming back the other way, and we're 40, 41 miles into a 50-mile hike. And we were exhausted. It was dark. It was cold. And Austin's feet had been hurting him for quite a while. And at one point, uh, we're nine miles from the top, and of course you finish by going up these switchbacks. He just sits down. He just sits down and starts rubbing his feet, and Kristen and I are kind of thankful for a break, but we know we got to keep going, and so we kind of gently, hey, Austin, you know, we should probably get going, bud, and he kind of, all right, he gets up and starts walking. Well, over the next few hours, this happens more often, and his breaks are getting longer and longer and longer, and he's getting more and more not like himself. He's a pretty goofy, jovial guy, pretty laid back. He was not that person at this point. He was a um, little angry. He was in pain. Uh, he was getting, wasn't really talking anymore. And if, if you've ever done long adventures or exercise things like this before, we were about 17 hours into it at this point. Once you st- stop for too long, your body literally shuts down. Like it's, it's like, oh, we're, we're done now. And so your body just like, it just stops. So if you sit for too long, there's no continue going. Well, one of these stops that Austin took, um, he just put his head down and he just started shaking his head, I can't, I can't do it anymore. I was like, we gotta go. We can't keep sitting here. We gotta go, we gotta go. And he's like, no, no. And I'm like, that's that's not an option, bud. And he's ignoring me, he's quiet. And so I'm talking to Chris, I'm like, what should I do? And I was just like, I I don't know what to do. So I was like, Austin, get up right now and go. Start walking. And he, he lifts his head and with these daggers of hate, <laughs> looks at me and grits his teeth and stands up and starts walking. He's mad. So he starts, he starts to go. And that happened a couple more times. We made it to the top, thankfully. Austin, thank you so much. But sometimes we just need somebody to light a fire under us, challenge us, get after us. And that is what James is doing for us in this passage. He is trying to light a fire under these fellow believers, people who maybe were static in their faith, maybe they were, 
you know, they were dead in their faith at that point. Maybe they just weren't considering certain things, but he is lighting a fire, and that's how we should read this passage today. Um, So we're going to jump into verses 14 through 16. And James uses some pretty powerful examples and illustrations in his passage, and it starts right here. What good is it, my brothers and sisters, if someone claims to have faith but has no deeds? Can such faith save them? Suppose a brother or a sister is without clothes and daily food. If one of you says to them, go in peace, keep warm and well-fed, but does nothing about their physical needs, what good is it? Now, James is, is saying these, these words. So the Holy Spirit is speaking through James to God's people. And in, in this passage here, I do believe James is, is basically saying, you know, meet the needs of people, even, even the general needs. Like, meet the needs of people. If someone is sad, give them a comforting word. For, through, you know, through your faith, give them a comforting word that you think they need to hear. If someone needs help moving, Go help them move. I think he's, he is saying to meet those general needs in this passage. But I think it goes more beyond that, and I think it's a little bit more literal than just meeting people's general needs. I believe James, in this passage right here, is encouraging, encouraging us to meet basic needs of people. Food, shelter, water. This, th- those are the needs that James is saying we need to be meeting in people's Lies. Now, I live in Scottsdale, um, and many of you live in Scottsdale or, you know, fa- fairly nice neighborhoods. Um, I don't have a normal routine that puts me in contact with a whole lot of people who their basic needs are not met. I just don't. I have to make intentional choices. Maybe sometimes I run across someone, I'm driving around town or whatever the case may be, but, I, but I'm not generally in contact with people who don't have their basic needs met. I don't think I'm off the hook. And I don't think that James is letting us off the hook. That if, if we're not interacting with people in person, with people that their basic needs are not met, we can't really fulfill what James is talking about here. Now, I think there's many ways to meet the needs of, of people who you know, have, have basic needs that are not met and you can give to a charity, which is awesome. I think you can feel called to do that. I think you can act out of your faith and give to a charity that supports people who their basic needs are not met. I think you can also give to North. You can support North and the ministries that we support people that, that meet basic needs for people. Food, shelter, water, health, clothing. But I, I think the most powerful, engaging, and genuine way to meet the needs of people who have their basic needs are not met is, is, is an interpersonal exchange. There's just something that happens in us, in our spirit, in the people that we're interacting with. If, if in the name of Jesus we meet that need for them, something happens in the spiritual realm that is just mysterious. And that's what James is calling us to here. Uh, this is a picture of Nolan Basai up on the screen here in the the middle there, and that is Nolan Bosai's parents. Uh, my daughter Cassidy, when she was eight, my wife, and apparently myself, when I didn't know how to wear a hat. <laughs> uh, we're in Tanzania a few years ago, and Nolan Bosai there, and the, the little gal, uh, was our sponsored child for a number of years, and we got a chance to meet her uh, in Myroa, Tanzania. 
And um, we also got a chance to see their boma or their house. You can see the next picture up here. That is where Nolan Bosai and her parents uh, and her sibling, two goats and three chickens lived. It's about 10 feet by 12 feet. Um, and the next picture here kind of shows what it looked like on the inside of that boma. You can see there's no furniture. Uh, that's where they slept. That's where they ate. Um, that's where they would hang out. Uh, they're on, on the dirt. And so uh, something happened in my spirit that day when I met Nolan Bosai. Um, there's just something that was knitted in my head and in my heart that, that has changed me forever. Um, it changed my daughter forever. It changed my wife forever. Um, at the same time, I, I'm pretty sure, I don't know for sure, but I'm pretty sure it had an impact on them too. You know, there's these you know, people who don't look like them visiting, you know, who don't speak the language, who have been providing funds for their daughter to go to school, to have clothing, uh, to have shelter, to be fed on a regular basis. And that must, I would assume that was impactful for them as a parent. There's just something that happens when, when there's an interpersonal connection with someone and we're able to meet a need in, in, the name of, in the name of Jesus. Now, not everyone is called to go to Tanzania. I understand that. Not everyone is called to uh, go to a third world country, though I think we should always be considering it, open about it, you know, praying about it. Uh, but there, there are people whose basic needs are not met within our, within our state, uh, within our, our community at times. And so I think James' challenge to us is to not only meet the general needs of people that are around us, but through our faith, push us to pursue people who their basic needs are not met and then to meet them in the name of Jesus. Uh, verses 18 and 19 say this, but someone will say, you have faith and I have deeds. Show me your faith without deeds and I will show you my faith by my deeds. You believe that there is one God, good, even the demons believe that, and they shudder. James is telling us here that it's not enough to say that we believe in God. He is also saying that it's not enough to just have an intellectual understanding of who God is for us to have a faith that produces good works. Now, the demons knew who God was, and it, it brought fear upon them, but that was not enough to save them. We can't just have a knowledge of God. That is not salvation. Salvation that leads to good works goes beyond knowing God and is trusting in the salvation that Jesus is the one who earned that for us. The demons had what you would call a demonic faith in the sense that they knew of God, but they didn't put their faith and trust in God. Demons certainly wouldn't even see the need for salvation and, or a desire to reconcile with God. My friend and pastor in the area, Bob Wade, uh, did a sermon on this, this passage a few years ago, and, and he said that there's three kinds of faith in this passage, and they all start with the letter D, so you've got to love a good pastor's alliteration skill. But he said in this passage we see dead faith, we see demonic faith, and we see demonstrated faith faith. We are looking for a demonstrated faith. So in, in light of that, I want to ask you a question to consider. Over the last few weeks, we've been in, in this series in the book of James, and we've been encouraged uh, through worship with, with the band and through Jay's teaching and through the Word of God 
in regards to you know, acting out on our faith. Has there been something over the last few weeks that because of what we have experienced on Sunday morning, whether we were online or in person, and you said you know, there was something that compelled you because of what we learned here, what we saw here, what we experienced here, that you actually did something with it, that you used whatever that was to challenge you, encourage you, and to act on your faith. I, would, I hope you would consider, have, have I done that? Have I responded faithfully? Have I taken whatever I say I have in, in, in regards to faith and putting that into action? Now, maybe, maybe you chose joy in the middle of a tough situation because of what we were taught in James 1 about consider it all joy. You know, we have temptations and trials. Maybe that's what you chose to do. Maybe you chose to change a conversation away from gossip. Maybe you started to gossip, or maybe someone else was starting to gossip, and you remembered in your, you know, in your spirit, in your conviction, that we are to tame our tongue, that we are to love other people. Maybe, maybe that's how you responded specifically. Obviously, our, um, our faith and our deeds go beyond what we experience here on Sunday morning. This is just you know, an hour of our week. Um, and we have to respond to other things in, in, our, in our world. But I think it's worth considering, you know, just from Sunday morning experience, what have I taken from that and put into practice in my life? Now, this past Tuesday in our staff meeting, we kind of shared with each other, um, we answered this question, what is, what is something that you have out of your faith, as a reflection of your faith, what did you do about it that you wouldn't have done before if it wasn't for your faith, if it wasn't for obeying Jesus. And it was, a, it was a fun exercise to hear, not in a braggy way, but to hear from my friends as, as staff, you know, how God had moved upon their heart because of their faith, and then they responded to, to, uh, to help other people, to pray for someone, whatever the case was. And it was really encouraging for me, really challenging. So I want to encourage you to consider that, what, you know, what's been something as of the last month or so, that because of your faith, you took action on that. You weren't stagnant. You weren't staying in the same place. You weren't unchanging, but you, it was dynamic. It was moving in you. And ask your family, ask your friends, what's something that you've done recently that you only did because of your relationship with Jesus? You were compelled to do it, and then you moved on that. Continuing in uh, verses 20 through 26, you foolish person, do you want evidence that faith without deeds is useless? Was not our father Abraham considered righteous for what he did when he offered his son Isaac on the altar? You see that his faith and his actions were working together, and his faith was made complete by what he did. And the scripture was fulfilled that says, Abraham believed God, and it was credited to him as righteousness. And he was called God's friend. You see that a person is considered righteous by what they do and not by faith alone. In the same way, was not even Rahab, the prostitute, considered righteous for what she did when she gave lodging to the spies and sent them off in a different direction? As the body without the spirit is dead, so faith without deeds is dead. Now, James' audience here is important again. Uh, to remember that, that they would have known exactly who Abraham was. They would have known exactly who Rahab was. Abraham and, Re and Rahab had extreme examples of faith. 
both risked the most precious things that they had in their trust of God. And if God didn't deliver for Abraham, if God didn't deliver in the, for Rahab, then, then their lives would have been destroyed. The future of, of Abraham's legacy and the God's promise to him would be done. Rahab risked her life and her family's life and was likely in prostitution to help provide for her family. That if, if God didn't give victory to Israel, then they will have most certainly been executed. Both of them responded with extreme faith, and it had real-world implications. And this is what James chose to highlight. I think that James also highlighted these two. Um, just one, with Abraham, I can't imagine offering my child up as a sacrifice. I, that's just, that is mind-blowing for me to consider. But we are asked to do that, right? We are asked to submit everything, including our kids, our, all of our relationships, to the Lord. And that's challenging for me. <clears throat> I think one of the reasons that James uses Rahab here is to honor women who were considered property during those days. I mean, even just in Matthew 1, the genealogy of, of Jesus, his lineage, uh, it was not custom to include women in those days, uh, in those genealogies, but Matthew does, and, and James honors women here too and includes Rahab in his examples of faith. Rahab also had faith, was a prostitute, and lied to the king to keep God's people protected, which you can see in the book of Joshua. Uh, this example of faith and works can be done by Abraham, can be done by Rahab, and can be done by us. I love that all kinds of people with all kinds of stories can respond to God in faith and in action. We don't have to be perfect, but we can still do good works and have faith. So as I you know, kind of come to a close here, I want to share with you some of the benefits, you know, kind of answering the question, well, why would I do that? Well, be, you know, I, I hear you saying that we're supposed to do this. James is saying this. What are the benefits if I do choose to take action as a result of my faith? Taking action um, of our faith results in having a faith that is alive and not dead. I don't know about you, but I, I would prefer to have a faith that is active, alive, and growing, and I would rather not have a dead faith. But it takes action of our faith in order to establish that. Taking action, our faith results in getting to be the hands and feet of Jesus. We get to literally be the hands and feet of Jesus. That's an amazing gift. It's an amazing privilege that we get to represent who Jesus is. Taking action, our faith results in attracting people to Jesus, being witnesses. My buddy uh, Jeff Layton, who started attending North here within this last year, um, we, had, we had coffee, and he gave this great illustration about what it means to uh, be a witness for Jesus. And I actually wrote it down word for word because I thought it was so important. I was taking notes, and he's like, what are you doing? You're weird. And I was like, I don't care. So he, he said this, when we are being obedient to God and walking in the path of Jesus, we are like a magnet. As we go along according to God's plan, we don't have to work that hard to attract people to Jesus. It will just happen as a result of how attractive and magnetic the way of Jesus is, and people will be drawn to us as a result. And I think he nailed it. We get to be a magnet for Christ. We get to attract people in as a result of our faith taking action. 
taking action, our faith results in a growing faith, a faith that grows, a dynamic, a changing faith. As a response today, uh, we're going to celebrate in communion, so hopefully you have your communion elements. I'm going to invite the band up here, and and they're going to start playing some music here for us. But I want you to consider a couple things. Uh, As we as we consider who Jesus is, his life, his death, and his resurrection, um, that is what we are, you know, part of what we're doing here through communion is remembering who Jesus is who he, and who he was. But I want you to take it a step further today, and if you wouldn't mind, um, examining your heart. As we take a couple moments here before we start singing again, before we take the elements, Examine your heart. Examine your faith. Where, where are you at? Are, are you stagnant? Or is, do you have a dead faith? Do you have a faith that's growing and active? Are you not sure where you're at with your faith? Maybe you haven't even professed a faith. Maybe consider what it would mean to put your faith in Christ. But examine your faith. Paul says in 2 Corinthians 13, 5, examine yourselves to see whether you are in the faith. Test yourselves. Do you not realize that Christ Jesus is in you? Unless, of course, you fail the test. So as we prepare our hearts to remember Jesus through communion, let's also examine our faith and where we're at. Take a couple moments to do that right now. In just a moment, we'll rejoin our pastor for today's closing thoughts. But first, we wanted to thank you for tuning in. North Bible Church is located in Scottsdale, Arizona and exists to equip all generations to love God, love one another, and love the world. For more information about North, please visit our website at northbiblechurch.com. Now, some closing thoughts from our pastor. We'd love to pray for you this week. Submit your prayer requests in the back of the room, your praises. We'd love to be thankful for the things that God is answering in your life. Whether you're online, you can do that on our app or on our website or here in person. Uh, Tim Keller said, It is not the strength of your faith that saves you, but the object of your faith that actually saves you. I'm so thankful for the object of our faith, and that being Jesus. He is everything, and he is all things that are good. As, and we get to participate in that goodness. You know, as a, as a teenager, I distinctly remember Christmas one year. We had my grandparents drive into town, and we had a couple of families from our church join us. One family that was, had just moved from Africa to, to uh, the D.C. area and spoke broken English and was kind of trying to figure things out. And so they were there with us. And my grandpa tells a racist joke. And um, he gets halfway through his second racist joke, and I think my dad changed the subject or, you know, something. And like a week later, my dad pulled me aside, and he said, hey, um, I, I talked to my dad about, about what happened. And I was like, yeah, I was wondering, you know, if something was going to happen because of that or whatever. And he's like, yeah, I just pulled my dad aside, and I said, hey, this, this can be perceived as, as hurtful, and it's probably not something that, that we should do going forward. He kind of explained why, and walked him through that, and to my grandpa's credit, he listened, he understood, and he said, I, I won't do that again. And to me, and I tell that story because to me that was one you know, specific example of my dad responding in faith and entered into a conversation that, 
could go sideways. It's awkward to, you know, maybe encourage or challenge your, your father on something. Um, and he acted out in a gentle way, and it was received. And, I, you know, to my grandpa's credit, he humbled himself. He received it and chose to respond differently. And that, those were things that were, were responses out of faith, a faith that was working. It changed my grandpa, changed my dad, and then it thus changed me. And when we see God change other people, it's so attractive. It attracts us to Jesus in so many powerful ways. It's attractive to live and love like Jesus, and we are all better because of it. So let's act out our faith this week in Jesus. Love you. We'll see you next Sunday. Thank you for joining us for this week's message. North Bible Church is located in Scottsdale, Arizona, and exists to equip all generations to love God, love one another, and love the world. For more information about North, please visit our website at northbiblechurch.com.